in the second hour, if you stick around, you know, if we, we fed you, we're going to feed you, so maybe you'll, you know, be too full to move and you need a place to rest. But if uh, that second hour, we're going to go into some of the, you know, some of the more stuff about what Life Catalyst is and how we operate. If you want to know that, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it unless you have questions. But uh, the four of us who are going to meet in just a moment will be here. We'll be taking questions. Uh, we have some things that Rob is going to share from his world uh, in uh, uh, residential recovery, and, and he's tell us a little bit about how that all works and how to access that and some of the mysteries that are maybe behind that. And uh, you'll be avail we're available. You can ask us any question. You can ask us questions about uh, addiction and recovery and family matters and our own lives and the things that we've experienced. Uh, we'd be very happy to share those, and we hope that that will be of, of great encouragement to you. Uh, we'll also share a little bit of how you can get involved and uh, I just really appreciate every once in a while I have people who stop me in the hall here and will say, you know, we're praying for you or we pray for you every day. And uh, we have an individual in our church here who came to me a while back and said, is there someone I can pray for? And she prays every day for a young woman who we work with uh, in New Jersey who is having an incredibly challenging time and a, a very difficult home situation. But she knows that this member of our church is praying for her every day. And uh, it has been an incredible blessing. And, and maybe that's something that you might want to get involved in as well. Uh, I'm going to invite the rest of the team who's here to come on up, grab a stool. We're just going to sit around and chat with you for a little bit. Uh, you can get to know a little bit of us. And uh, we'll get people mic'd up here when you're you can hang on to that play with it for a while until you're ready to use it uh, we want to just tell you a little bit about why we're here uh, what brings us here what brings us to share our story and what is our story and and why are we here to talk about addiction uh, I want to ask just quickly, how many of you were not here two years ago when Life Catalyst was here? How many, if you'd be brave enough to raise your hands, okay. Uh, some of you who were here may not remember what we said, but uh, we do want to let you know a little bit about where we're coming from. Uh, and as, as Pastor Scott said, uh, my wife and I have been members here at Heritage for a number of years. Uh, our kids went through Abington Heights School District. Our oldest daughter graduated from Abington Heights uh, with honor. She was here in Heritage Youth Group. She sang in the church uh, and uh, went out into uh, the working world. Uh, she became a, uh, a counselor for women with uh, uh, mental needs. And... Uh, Along the way, she became addicted to Mucinex, very common over-the-counter drug. Uh, started out with Benadryl, moved to Mucinex, and uh, that progressed to the point where she was in rehab four times and a halfway house. And one morning, the phone rang, and... Uh, 
It was about six o'clock in the morning, and I picked up the phone, and I heard a tearful voice on the other end. And uh, I thought it was my daughter Christy. It sounded like my daughter Christy. And I said, Christy, have you been drinking? And the voice on the other end said, this is Susan. Christy's dead. My wife had gone uh, early to pick her up. She was headed to work, and my wife, daughter's car was not working uh, at that point, and so she was giving her ride to work and found her uh, out in the backyard of her house. And, uh, you know, that certainly is a powerful story in our life, but it has given us a great care and compassion for families who have needs. Uh, you know, there are years of sorrow and pain, delusion, denial, being totally uneducated, no safe place to go. And that was me. <laughs> that that was, was our family. Uh, where do you tell that story? Where do you share 10 years of struggle and pain? Uh, I later came to understand more clearly the the hopelessness, the helplessness, the self-loathing, the shame, the guilt that my daughter endured. And I just wish I had, had more fully understood that sooner. But I can tell you that there's hope and there's healing. And Life Catalyst was birthed out of a desire to share what gives victory, what gives hope, and what gives lasting sobriety. What gives a change of heart? And uh, I could find nothing in northeastern Pennsylvania. And so Life Callous was birthed to, to have a comprehensive ministry that can reach out to people to first of all deal with those who are in recovery, which sometimes means they are in active addiction and need to get to a place like Rob operates where they can get sober and then walk with them through recovery. Walk with families because there's a great need. There are people here today I know that are hurting and understand what this is about. Walk with them to walk with families who lose loved ones as a result of addiction. And then to train others uh, like a Sylvia and others who are uh, uh, working with us. Uh, There's a lot of resources for addiction, and they can be very helpful. But you know, social programs can assist in sobriety, but they cannot heal the soul. And God is not just interested in healing addiction. He's not just interested in healing your broken leg or your arm or your hand but when the scripture talks about healing God wants to heal the entire person and he wants to heal the soul and that's what we're about and that's what brings me here I'm so thrilled to have Rob with us uh, Rob came alongside as we were beginning and has been a great advisor to us he has a rich background in the recovery world 
Uh, hopefully you'll mention a little bit of what you're doing now. But uh, uh, it's great to have Rob who has a real heart uh, for what we do. And Rob was supposed to be here two years ago, but if you remember, the first date we were here got snowed out and everything was closed. We rescheduled and Rob had COVID. So we saw Rob on video. Uh, last time, one of our advisors, uh, Paul Kiesling, was with us. And this year, uh, he's out of town. His, his wife passed away a short time ago. And uh, he's not able to be with us. But uh, someday we'll all get together. But Rob, great to finally have you here. Uh, take it away. All right. Well, great to hear. Great to be here. Um, yeah, so when... Um, Dave calls me up, I, I try to answer the phone or get back to him, you know, when I can, because I, I truly believe in, you know, the mission of what his um, ministry is doing. Um, I kind of stumbled into this a different path than, than Dave. Um, I grew up in a, a church going home, um, baptized at First Baptist Church in Moorhead City uh, back in the mid-80s, um, and, and didn't really know what that meant for me, even though I went through that process at that age. Um, it took a, a long journey of a rough road to really discover, you know, Jesus died for me and Jesus died in my place. Um, I, I was thinking about this, you know, last night after I talked to Dave and, uh, you know, what, what I was going to say. And... Um, I realized, you know, it was 18 years ago, almost to the day, uh, that I truly realized uh, what this meant and what my life needed to do and be. Um, I grew up, uh, you know, a, a self-centered egomaniac with a self-esteem problem. Um, you know, I had very, very low self-esteem growing up. And I grew up on the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Uh, I was running in from fishing with the older guys, and I was probably 14 years old. And the older guys handed me a, a Budweiser cold beer. And uh, I cracked it open. I drank it. I hated the way it tasted, but I loved the way it made me feel. It brought out that I finally felt a part of something. And I had no idea where that something was going to take me. And it took me about, oh, 18 years to really uh, get to my bottom. And I hurt a lot of people, mostly my mother. I lost careers. I lost a marriage. Um, and I lost myself. So... You know, I can, I can look at the egomaniac part, and I remember, so I was a, um, my one goal in life was to follow my dad's footsteps and become an airline pilot. Um, so I was probably about 22 years old. I had gone through uh, flight school. I had almost failed out of college, dropped out, went back, dropped out, came, got a flight instructor job, right? So I'm climbing out of New Bern, North Carolina. I got a student in my left seat. Um, probably 22 years old, probably hung over, um, you know, and I had a complete engine failure. I look back at the airport, I look, I'm like, we're 1,100 feet in the air, 
start trying to, you know, get the engine running again. I realize I'm not going to make the airport. I realize there's water downtown in between me and the, the airport. Um, so I turned to the highway, made the call, emergency in progress. I'm going to land on Highway 70, come down. We land just fine. Cars start, you know, spreading out of the way. I sidestep it, we land on the, uh, the median. Guy walks up to the, the uh, airplane with, with me and he's like, you know, I got the cops on the phone. He had a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. And he was like, can I get you anything? I was like, I'll take one of them cigarettes off you, you know? So afterwards, my mom was saying to me, and this is where the egomaniac part comes in, right? She's like, so did you thank God for getting you through that? I said, if God was on that airplane, he needs to be thanking me because I was the one that landed that thing. You know, and I, I had no idea, you know, what I was thinking and what I, you know, where I have, was going, you know. So I finally do get on the airlines, um, you know, flying uh, with U.S. Air for about five years, uh, upgrade to captain, go out on a flight, um, you know, and, and all the time I'm drinking like really hard and I thought I had figured out how to be able to, you know, smoke marijuana successfully and pass their drug tests, which I did for five years. So I always felt like I was smarter and better than, you know, whoever was keeping up to me, you know, or looking after me or whatever. It was getting in the way of how I wanted to live. So I go on and out and back. We, you know, it's where you take off out of your home domicile, you fly, you know, do eight trips come back in and um, about 60 miles out and they say uh, the, the drug test people are here. And I hadn't done what I usually do to beat the drug test because I had flown the night before, they were there, um, you know, they didn't test me so I didn't know, I, you know, I thought my system was they weren't going to be there two days in a row and anyway, as soon as I heard that I just, I knew in my gut, oh no, they're there for me. And they're real serious about this stuff. They come up in the cockpit, Captain Norris, it's your turn, take you in. And I failed a drug test, lost a job. That, that's all I had ever focused on in my life, all I ever wanted to do. I come from a family of high-functioning alcoholics, and I was the first one to, to get caught. Um, didn't stop me. You know, I, I like, when I started drinking and using, I had a series of I-nevers. First, it was I'll never drink because I saw what it did to my dad and my family. Second was I'll never, you know, smoke marijuana. Blew right through that one. I'll never use hard drugs. I'll never use, like, needles. And I'll never quit. It finally got to that stage that I, I said, this is something I want to do for the rest of my life, and I will never quit using and, um, you know, that was, that was the point where I had to make a decision. Do I quit or do I keep going? I kept going for almost three more years. I whittled away to about 150 pounds. There wasn't much left of me spiritually, mentally, or physically. One morning I'm laying in um, my mother's bed. I was 32 years old, not in her bed, but in her house, <laughs> in, in my bed as a teenager, you know, and... Uh, she comes busting in the room at 8.30 and uh, says, what are you doing? Well, you know, and I sat up and opened my mouth and, and God helped me speak the words that I tried to put back in my mouth, which was, I need help. And, um, you know, from there, I, I went into a, a rehab. I didn't know what to expect. Um, I thought it was like 
that treat uh, that movie, One Who Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, you know, and <laughs> I walked in and there was a guy and he was eating cereal and he looks up to him at me and there was a Fruit Loop stuck to the side of his face and I was like, I was right. <laughs> you know? um, I stayed there. Um, you know, I did my 28 days. I got out and I didn't have much else going on in my life. And um, my grandmother, it was, it was right here in, in uh, Wilkes-Barre that I went to treatment. I had driven up um, here to go. And, uh, you know, my mom said to me, hey, you know, it was a Sunday after I got out of rehab like on Friday and she said do you want to go to church there's this church right down the street called Parker Hill and I was you know I didn't have any money I didn't have anything going I was like sure what the heck and um so I went in and and the series was called the invisible war and um I felt like he was talking to me God was speaking through Mark Stenzi um to me and you know I had put every drug in my body you could ever imagine and I'd never felt anything like that morning when I finally realized that Jesus is inside of me. And, um, you know, so I grabbed a hold of it. And, you know, I'm like still a broken person. Uh, I was listening to the song, uh, Sweetly Broken, Holy Surrendered, on the way over here this morning. And, um, you know, it, how I feel about myself really depends upon how intentional I am about my relationship with Jesus and it ebbs and flows. I'm not perfect. Um, you know, but I, I realize what it means to me and what it means to my sobriety. I'm 18 plus years sober now, and I'm still as fragile and broken as I was the day I walked into rehab. But I'm okay with it. You know, things don't crumble me the way, like I walked up here, I realized my fly was down. 20 years ago, <laughs> that would have killed me, awesome. you know? So, um, you know. We things, have things in common. Yeah, right. right? <laughs> like that would have just destroyed me, you know? Um, not today. So um, Thanks. I'm, I'm really glad to be here. I hope, you know, our message just touches one person and, and helps you um, understand that, you know, there is hope. There is a way out, and, you know, um, Jesus has got to play a role in that. So, thank you. We're going to have more from these guys in the next hour, so you, there's more to Rob's story about where he is today. That's great. Uh, so, you guys heard a little bit about my story in the video, um, but just to recap that, um, my dad died of a drug overdose in 2020, uh, but prior to that, he struggled with addiction for about a decade it started off with prescription narcotics. He had a lot of different doctors and um, he was on dozens of medicines at once. Slowly alcohol was incorporated into that. And finally near the end of his life, he got into heroin and a heroin overdose is um, what killed him. And um, when, I, when I first heard Dave and Taylor and Paul speak a couple of years ago, one of the biggest things that stuck with me Dave made a comment that the addict is addicted to the substance and the family is addicted to the addict. And that is absolutely where we were um, after, my, my dad didn't die till 2020, but um, he had left in 2017. And after that, I remember a conversation I was having with my mom and my brother. I'm like, I have to confess that, you know, pretty much every week I was going through my dad's dresser. I was going through his work bag. I was trying to find the pill bottles, trying to see what he was doing. And, and they're like, funny you say that, because same. 
And so it just, um, it was a reality that we lived with for a long time. And it was incredible hearing both sides of it. Um, you guys will hear from Taylor and just hear the redemption that God's worked in her life. And, and that's amazing. But for me, I, I really resonated with Dave where it's like, wow, there, there is so much more to this than just what happens in the, in the life of, of the person struggling with addiction. And I think one of the biggest things that hit me um, after my father passed away is uh, I'm not sure if he was a believer or not. And so something that, that the Lord really used to convict me was when I'm walking down the street and I see somebody with needle marks in their arm or I hear somebody slurring their speech and like, oh, I know you've had something to drink this morning. Do I cringe and do I walk the other way or do I look at them and think, I hope to see you in heaven one day? And God just really, through everything me and my family went through, convicted me that maybe I didn't have an eternal perspective as I was viewing my dad and as I was viewing how God was working in the situation. And um, I think one of the biggest things I realized was that some addictions are about physical life and death. Some will kill you, they won't all, but every addiction is about spiritual life and death. Like that's what's at stake here. We're dealing with people's souls, like David talked about. It's, it's so much more than just going to a rehab. My dad was in and out of so many rehabs, and for a while it would work. From He, uh, he had his first overdose in 2013, and he went to a month-long program at Marworth, great rehab, a lot of uh, really professional and experienced people there. It worked for a while in that he didn't use and he didn't drink, but he never filled the void that he was trying to fill. He would have shopping addictions, other addictions. It went back to drugs and alcohol, and so it really just comes down to if this problem isn't being addressed with the hope of Jesus Christ, it's not being addressed at all. And then I think learning that from my perspective too, as, as a family member, there was so much guilt and shame after my dad died. You know, what could I have done differently? I should have shared the gospel with him more. I should have looked harder for the pill bottles and confronted him. You know, you go through so many thoughts and it's just this cycle of of bondage, really. It's a cycle of bondage for, for the person struggling with addiction, and it is also that same bondage for family and friends and coworkers and anyone that's affected. And um, the, the hope in that is then seeing people be transformed by the work of Christ. And I never saw that in my dad, but through that, God just showed me that in myself and in my family and how he healed us. And then I met Taylor, and I was like, what a picture of redemption. You know, that, that's how powerful our Savior is, that he, he breaks every form of bondage, whether it's physical ailment or spiritual depravity. He just, he frees us from all of it. And so um, that's why I'm here, just because I, I hate the thought of somebody dying or somebody living in bondage to this without knowing and seeing the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. My name is Taylor. Um, I am from New Jersey, and yes, I had connections. When I came up one time visiting with David and Susan a few years ago, I could not believe that I knew people here, um, and it was, it was powerful. Um, I have sat, I, I have thought this morning of how many names in here I just want to say of how I've wept with you and held your hand 
and talked to the wee hours of the morning and woke up to read your text and to say, I understand. I couldn't help, and forgive me, but as David talked about his and Susan's daughter, and yet I sit at their kitchen table with them and have dinner, and the depth of struggle in sweet Christie's life, and mine, the, the realities of those are significant. I was the walking dead. You see Hollywood's portrayal of what that looks like. You do one drive through the city of Kensington, some of the streets there, you see it. That was me. Years of not leaving my bedroom, blinds drawn, bottle after bottle. Alcohol was my food. I did not eat. And I would go through cycles of this as in between my mother would find what I had and dump it for me to just scream at her and say I'm getting more or I hate you or whatever. How does that not look like some sort of possession? Absolutely ripping any life, any soul out of a human. And as Sophia said so well, the depraving. Those I hurt, the acts I committed. I came to Christ saying, I am the sickest woman. And as I read scripture and all the people that Jesus came in contact with and healed, I relate every one of them in some fashion, whether it is a mental diagnosis, an emotional instability, alcoholism, depression, anxiety, eating disorder, full-blown anorexia and bulimia, coupled on top of that. The list literally goes on. I mean, in groups we talk about this, you know? And um, it's the fact that I sit here before you. I, how can I not say I'm healed? <laughs> and to hold it together and sit here and say, look what he's done. And all he did was he took me. He brought me to himself and he said, learn from me. I had nowhere else to go. I tried everything. Everything. And God sent people. And he sent his Holy Spirit gave it to me when I said, I trust you. And I said, I I have spent a life, a lifetime of your absolute mercy, and I have trampled it. And I couldn't get lower. And I thank God for that poverty, because without that, I now know what the grace is that's offered to every single human being. An addict, somebody struggling with 
pornography or gambling or pride. Pastor Scott prayed for us and he brought up the one of, what about self-righteousness? Thinking we can do this on our own, that we are not utterly dependent on Christ every single day of our lives for the very breath we have and a day does not go by that I say, thank you for the blood you shed for me. And every wound you have bound. And now, he just says, now I send you out. Go tell people, don't be ashamed. I have taken that shame. You just say, here is my gift to you. Let me tell you how broken I was. You're never too far gone. You're never too far from his grace. Ever. Time goes. We would love to tell you more. <laughs> it's all about Christ. He's so good. And I praise him every day for what and I'm thankful for what we're able to do. I guess one of the things that we want to, to just consider this morning is that, you know, it is possible to be sober, but still be lost and still be struggling. And I'd like you to think for a moment about what is your worldview? What prompts you in your actions and attitudes? A worldview is a collection of attitudes, values, stories, and expectations about the world around us, which inform our every thought and action. Uh, <clears throat> There's a writer, uh, Charnick, of, who wrote a, a treatise called It's a real nice treatise. And it's got a great, great title. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it's called Practical Atheist. And he just talks about the fact that, you know, we, we believe something or we say we believe something and we believe the Bible and we believe in God and we believe in Christ. But all day long, that does not affect the way we think, the way they act, the way things that we do. Our worldview is informed by the news and the things we see on social media and the things we were taught and the things that we want and the things that make us happy and the things that take care of us now. But our worldview is not always informed by the Word of God. And uh, I want us to recalibrate just a bit. And we're going to read from you from Psalm 104 and from Psalm 103. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, and... Actually, as we think about this, I want you to just ponder a worldview. What are these passages telling us about our worldview? And I'm going to ask you to just stand in honor to God's word, and we're going to go ahead and read. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my Lord, my God. You are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a cloak. 
stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He walks upon the wings of the wind. He makes the winds his messengers, flaming fire his ministers. This is Psalm 103, verses 1 through 7. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame, and he is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his host, who serve him doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You may be seated. You cannot read that scripture without understanding the sovereign power of an almighty God. And if we believe what we just read, then we understand that God is able to heal. And he's able to heal every part of our heart and our mind and our body and our life as he would direct. You know, in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we read these words. Let me get there. 
or you can just look at it on the screen. Seeing that his divine power has granted us, what's the next word? Oh, come on, that's a, we can do a little better. Everything. It, everything. Seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he hath granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. God's given us everything we need in his word to guide us and direct us, to change our mind, to heal our soul. And that's what we need. Everyone in this room needs a healing of the soul. Whether you have a substance addiction or some other issue, whether it, the addiction is a thing or a person or an action, we need the healing that only comes from Christ. And uh, as I need to, to wrap up here, I just want to let you know that what we do and what you can find in group, and we're going to be giving an opportunity to start an inside group here which talks about the insight into the various stages of addiction and some predictable patterns and what the Word of God has to say about that and, and how we can overcome that and, and how we can help people who are in substance addiction or how someone in substance addiction can be helped, uh, can learn for themselves and can grow or how we can find that there are issues in our life that we may not be concerned about right now but that we need to be concerned about. Uh, but you know, the Word of God applies to every area. We hear, there are three things I want to mention. One is sometimes we hear about the problem of stigma as it relates to addiction. And I happen to know that in Lackawanna County, you're going to be hearing a lot more about that uh, in media in the near future. And, and we hear things like, you know, addiction is a disease and not a choice. And maybe in the next hour we can talk about that a little bit. But, you know, the, the thing that we need to, to recognize is one of the reasons that that campaign is kicking off and we hear that is because of the way that people in addiction are treated, the stigma that surrounds it. But I would like to take you to a verse of Scripture that I think is far better than trying to say that we should be compassionate to people who have a disease. In Psalm chapter 34, we read in verse 18, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and save those who are crushed in spirit. You remember that Jesus looked on the multitudes, and he wept. He sorrowed because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And what our heart ought to be towards those who are trapped in addiction is a heart of compassion and care and understanding. A passion to see that there's a deep need beyond the surface. And that those are people that Christ cares about and died for. The second thing about the Word of God that, that impacts addiction is the power of the Scripture. You know, the Bible is truth. We live in a world that only believes in that which is relative. It's my truth. It's you do you. But that's not what the Word of God says because, you know, our worldview has been so skewed. Now, let me ask you, if you're on, a, on Rob's plane, 
and, and you're flying into Chicago, and the, the, uh, the, ground, uh, the ground guy is saying, you know, hey, uh, I want you to descend to 9,000 feet and hold. And Rob comes back and says, well, what's 9,000 feet to you? I, I've got my 9,000 feet. What's yours? You know, we're a world that's, that's in love with sports. But, you know, I know you say the score was 98 to 50, but I felt like we won with 50 points. You know, <laughs> there are things that are not relative. We, every day we know that there's absolute truth. But when it comes to the way we want to live our lives, we throw out absolute truth. We go after what we want. But God has given us absolute truth. And if we will only dig into it, we will benefit from it and we will be healed, and we will be changed. A paragraph from Charles Spurgeon, writing on this subject, as he wrote about the verse that says, God has said. Yes, whether for delight in our quietude or for strength in our conflict, God has said. It must be our daily resort. And this may teach us the extreme value of searching scriptures. There may be a promise in the word which would exactly fit your case, but you may not know of it, and therefore you miss its comfort. You are like prisoners in a dungeon where there could be one key on the ring which would unlock the door and free you. However, if you won't look for it, you will remain a prisoner yet, though liberty is so close at hand. There may be a potent medicine in the great pharmacy of Scripture, and you may yet continue in sickness unless you examine and search the scriptures to discover what God has said. And we come to you as we come to people that we meet with in group and individually and share the word of God because we believe it is the word of God which is the living word of God which has power to transform lives, to take people from lost dead sinners to living sons of Jesus Christ. We believe that conquers stigma. We believe it. it is the power to transform. And we believe firmly as we walk this journey in the providence of God that God will work in our lives to conform us to his, his character and that God can meet every need no matter how deep and no matter how hurting. A while ago, I was on the phone with a man who lives in a state far from here. His daughter, they've not heard from his daughter for months. She, was, she worked in a, in a uh, uh, for the district attorney's office at one time, and she just fell in love with heroin. And she just loves heroin. She said, Dad, I just love heroin. Today she's living, she has no home. They don't know where she is. They've heard nothing from her. And he said, you know, I know I'm going to hear, I'm going to get one of three phone calls. I'm either going to get the phone call that says, uh, sir, we have your daughter in jail. Or I'm going to hear the phone call that says, dad, I want to come home. 
or I'm going to get the phone call that says, sorry to inform you that your daughter's died. I was able to tell him as I've looked others in the eye and say, you know what? Every one of those three phone calls is okay. And I can say that because I've heard those phone calls. But if we trust God, if that is our worldview, God will meet our needs and help us to have joy as we walk regardless of what's going on. Let's close in prayer. Father, we're grateful for your goodness. Thank you that for every need in this room, for every broken heart, for every concern, for every burden, Jesus Christ is there to meet our needs. And you have written down in your word the things that guide us and sustain us. Help us to be diligent to look into it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.